I have a message that I'm definitely, definitely going to give today, y'all, okay? So uh, it's something that's been on my heart this whole last week. And if you've been in the news at all, which honestly is kind of a terrifying place to be in right now, right? You know what I'm talking about? You watch any news today and it'll just make you feel terrible, all right? And I understand that, but listen, there are some times you just gotta get in the news to know what's going on. You gotta know something's going on in the world, right, around me. And uh, if you have been under a rock, then you would not know about what's going on in Afghanistan, And this has really been on my heart for a long time, ever since I heard of this happening and I saw what was going on with the Taliban taking over and all this. It's just really been on my heart. And I don't know why, in in particular, this situation and these people have really been on my heart. And so I started praying about it and I was thinking, okay, we're in this series, My Testimony. Um, So how does this relate? And I just felt the Lord speak to me and said, okay, listen, you can tell stories of things that are happening here in our body and in our church and, you know, Hayes County and in our region, but also part of my testimony as a series should be looking to testimonies of people that are all over the world. And what is God doing outside of our nation right now? And how can we be a part of what's going on in Afghanistan right now? And so uh, what I want to do is invite you to open your your ears, open your heart uh, to these people today and open your heart to what the Bible has to say about these situations, okay? So I'm going to do a little brief history lesson. It's not going to be very long, uh, but but we have to get some context for what we're talking about here on what's going on in the last, you know, uh, two to three weeks over there in Afghanistan. So in the 1970s and, and before, okay, the, the people of Afghanistan, especially the women, you can really see there was a large difference in the way that people lived in Afghanistan. Okay, obviously this is an Islamic country. Okay, it is the, the actual state uh, religion for them. But, but way back in the day, you know, you see these, this a completely different version of Afghanistan than what you would see today. All right. There were women walking around in, in, in skirts. It was actually a fairly progressive liberal country in a sense, all right? This, you would never see that happen in Afghanistan today, right? Women were in places of leadership and, and, and authority and they were a part of regular society and, and people were able to kind of be free in a sense and, and live the way that they wanted to. But then uh, obviously some things happened in the 1990s was when there was really a huge reckoning and the Taliban uh, had a, a very, very bad run through there. And I'm not gonna really get into it, but basically they, they killed a lot of people and they they, were, they came to be feared by all. They were feared by many, many people. And in 2001, we all know uh, what happened in 9-11. And, and I actually was, uh, I'll date myself a little bit here, okay? We were just celebrating uh, Pastor Tim's, I want to tell you all this too, Pastor Tim's 30th birthday is today, by the way, guys. Can you all give it up for Pastor Tim? I don't know where he's at. He's not in here but he'll see this online later. All right, so it's his 30th birthday today, uh, but uh, but I was in fourth grade when 9-11 happened, okay? And so I think everybody remembers where they were at that time when you saw on the news when the Twin Towers were being hit. Everybody remembers where you were that day. I remember I was in class and they immediately stopped class and turned on the TVs. And we, we started to see what was going on. And I, I, I'm kind of I'm thinking back now as a fourth grader, I'm shocked that they even let us look at what was happening. But really nobody knew what was going on. So we all kind of gathered around. We were watching on the TV. And, and then very quickly after that, the, you know, um, the, the second towers hit and, and things start to, uh, the tower crumbles. And obviously everybody is just freaking out, okay? And so then we have the teachers turn off the TVs. They all take us outside and say, go have recess. Okay. And so all of us went outside and the teachers and all the adults were getting together just to talk about what was going on. And so then my, my friend, her name is Ashlyn. She ended up writing a letter as kind of a way for us to process what we were going through. Our teachers had us write letters. We went to a small private school in, in Round Rock. 
And they had us write letters to the president, uh, letters to firefighters, letters to different people. But really the main thing is we wrote letters to the president. And she wrote this letter. It was beautifully written. She's still a writer today and she's incredible. But uh, President Bush actually read her letter that she wrote in his address to the nation that he had shortly after 9-11. And it was, it was mind-blowing. None of us knew it was going to happen, but he said, you know, this girl from Austin, Texas, and he read her name and read this letter. I don't know whether to be sad, mad, or angry. And she started going through all these different things. I don't, I don't know how to feel about this. I don't know how to feel about this. And we were in fourth grade. She was just so eloquent the way that she wrote all this. He reads this. And so then we, uh, a few days later, we have news stations showing up to our school and I'm getting interviewed because I'm, the, you know, I'm this little kid and I obviously like to talk a lot, okay? So they put me in front of the camera and said, hey, this kid looks like he could talk a little bit. And I was like, you better believe I can. So uh, I started talking about, I'm trying to get some TV time, you know? So uh, I ended up on the news with my friends, okay? And we were talking about everything we were doing and how we had just been processing things. And it was a really difficult time, even as a young kid, trying to process everything that was going on. But then, you know, over the last 20 years, what's happened is the U.S. went in and they were, they, they basically took over control and I've been fighting against terrorism, obviously all around the world, but in Afghanistan, fighting against the Taliban, fighting against terrorism, funding and training the Afghan army, attempting to set up a governmental structure that will work and that will uh, withstand the test of time and thrive on its own, which obviously we've seen has definitely uh, not worked. But during this time, women's rights were largely given back and you started to see things change. You started to see things go back to maybe uh, the way it was way back in the day, you know, when it, well before the Taliban had completely taken over and, and their rights were getting back and Christianity was able to have a foot in the door and you started to see Christians and missionaries able to go in. It was still a terrible, terrible place to be a Christian. Actually, I, I don't know if you know this, but in the, the world, there's only, you know, three or four places that people would say is the absolute worst place to be a Christian. Okay, and the first one, of course, would be North Korea, okay? I mean, like, that's like, you do not want to be a Christian there. It's literally impossible, basically, to be a Christian there. But there is an underground church that is there. The second worst place in the world to be a Christian, as rated by world missions organizations, is Afghanistan. Second worst place in the world to be a Christian. Now, there is about, I think, about 4 million people that live uh, in Afghanistan. And they estimate that there's only between 10 to 20,000 Christians that live there. 10 to 20,000. There are churches that are a lot larger than 20,000 people just down the road from us, all right? And yet this is how many Christians live in this entire nation. So it was a very complex situation for the last 20 years. People have opinions on it, you know, whether we should have been there, whether we shouldn't have been there, whether we failed or whether we actually made a difference. And listen, uh, the U.S. had to make a difficult decision to pull out of Afghanistan and very quickly. Of course, the Taliban, uh, more quickly than I think anybody really expected, they advanced and took over the whole country. Now, there's your history lesson for the day, all right? But why are we talking about this? Because we're in this series, My Testimony, the Lord spoke to me and just told me, listen, it is so important that we hear testimonies and we hear what's going on around the world and not stay in this bubble that we are in here in America. God is doing things in the underground church in Afghanistan. I'm telling you, he is moving and there are people that are standing up for their faith that are being bold in their faith in Afghanistan and we need to hear their stories that are just as important as our stories. Can I get an amen? So one house church leader, uh, sent a picture of a small room he was hiding in with his family. And it says that he wrote, this is where I'm living. We're hidden right now in different areas. And another pastor wrote in, we can't go out like normal. It's dangerous. We moved to one of my friend's houses, but it's not safe 
at all. Pastors say the Taliban has contacted them saying that they are coming for them. So they actually, the Taliban knows where some of these Christians are. They know where some of these people are and they've actually contacted them saying, hey, we're coming for you. Now, how many of you don't ever want to get that phone call, okay? A, a known dangerous terrorist group that is going to be coming after you and your family because of your faith. Listen, that is not a phone call that I ever want to have to get in my life. This is the story though of thousands of Christians that do live in Afghanistan. And for them, now their homeland has become a prison. Their homeland, the place that, that they love, that they call home, that, they, that all they've known their entire life is now a prison just because of their faith in Jesus. And, and not just for them, but for many other people as well. But what does the Bible say about people that are in prison? It says to remember those people that are in prison. And this is the first text that I have for you today. And the first point is remember those in prison. Hebrews 13, three says, remember those who are in prison as though in prison with them. Remember those who are in prison as though in prison with them and those who are mistreated since you are also in the body. What is this passage telling us right now? Is that we're supposed to remember people that are put in prison, that are persecuted for their faith, as though we are also being persecuted for our faith, as though we are also being put in prison for our, for our faith. What does that mean? What is this? It's literally the definition of empathy, right? Putting yourself into the shoes of somebody else and trying to feel what it is that they would be feeling. But yet that's a difficult thing for us to do because we will probably never have to feel that feeling ever in our lives. We'll never have to know what that is. It's easy to, as Americans to live in our American bubble, right? I mean, you know what I'm talking about when you really think about it. And it's something we don't normally think about. It might be every once in a while we might ponder it or when something like this happens, we do think about it maybe a little bit more. But for the most part, we have school, we have work, we have church, we have our families and we have our friends and we have our own problems and things that we legitimately deal with and things that go on in our lives that are difficult, right? But we usually don't ever have to deal with anything to that magnitude because we go largely uh, unhindered by much of anything. Why? Why is that? Well, it's because our nation, of course, was built on the cornerstone of something called freedom. And I think we unknowingly take it for granted many times in our lives. We can come in here today and worship freely, albeit with the mask on. But if that's the worst thing that we have to deal with, come on, guys. If that's the worst thing that we have to deal with is having a mask on in church, listen, that, can I rant a little bit today? Is that fine, guys? Because that's going to happen, all right? I'm just going to be honest. This has really been on my heart, okay? I'm just going to rant and say some things, all right? If I ruffle some feathers, okay, you know, like, come talk to me after, all right? Go back to watch the series Offended that we did a while back, Okay. We can come in today and worship freely without the threat of being jailed, fined, or executed. And yet many Christians in our nation don't worship in a church on Sunday morning or worship at all with other believers because a pastor hurt their feelings. We miss church because the game is on. We miss church because of a soccer tournament or a baseball tournament out of state. We just feel like we don't need it. Maybe I don't need to be in church with other people. I can have my relationship with God outside of church or I can have my relationship by myself. Listen, I'm telling you, Afghan Christians would never miss a chance to be able to do what we are doing right now. Amen? 
they would never, ever miss an opportunity to be in the house of God. If it was open on Sunday, they'd be there. If it was open on Wednesday, they'd be there. If it was open on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, I guarantee you there would be people that would be there because they are not able to do it. Afghanistan has become a prison, especially for Christians. And we know that the Taliban even now are going door to door. They're knocking, looking for Christians. They're looking for teenage girls that are, they're marrying off to Taliban fighters that are twice their age. And many will be killed for standing in their way. Many, many people have already been killed. it's, It's projected that thousands and thousands of people will probably be killed for their faith in Christ. Uh, And if they do not conform to the way that the Taliban wants them to, they're going to be killed for their faith or for their beliefs and what they stand for, for human rights. While Paul was in prison, what did the, or not Paul, Peter, excuse me. When Peter was in prison, what did the church do? They prayed. So this is what I want to ask us to do today. I want to ask you to do two things. But the first thing I want to ask you to do is to pray. All right. When Peter was in prison, the people gathered to pray for him. And I'm going to read this passage. It's in Acts 12. If you want to turn there, uh, go in your app on your phone, YouVersion Bible app. If you don't have that, I would highly encourage you. Go to your app store, get the Bible app. You can read the Bible wherever you go. Acts 12, 1 through 17. I'm just going to read this passage to you guys and see what we can pull from it as it relates to Afghanistan and what we could do now. It was about this time that King Herod arrested some who belonged to the church, intending to persecute them. He had James, the brother of John, put to death with the sword. When he saw that this met with approval among the Jews, he proceeded to seize Peter also. This happened during the festival of unleavened bread. After arresting him, he put him in prison handing him over to be guarded by four squads of four soldiers each. Herod intended to bring him out for public trial after the Passover. So Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying to God for him. I'm going to say that again. Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying to God for him. The night before Herod was to bring him to trial, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains and sentries stood guard at the entrance. Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him up. Quick, get up. Now, how many of you are just like thinking an angel just coming up? He's like, hey, get up, dude. Come on, let's go. Let's get out of here. He's like, whoa, what? what's going on? And wake him up from his sleep. I just, I picture things in my head. It's like angels just like kicking him in the side. Come on, man, let's go. Then the angel said to him, put on your clothes and sandals. And Peter did so. Wrap your cloak around you and follow me, the angel told him. Peter followed him out of the prison, but he had no idea what the angel was doing, what was really happening. He thought he was seeing a vision, which means this dude was half awake, okay? Like this dude's like barely awake and he's like, ah, okay, I guess I'm just gonna follow you. All right, here we go. They passed the first and second guards and came to the iron gate leading to the city. It opened for them by itself and they went through it. When they had walked the length of one street, suddenly the angel left him. Then Peter came to himself and said, now I know without a doubt that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from Herod's clutches and from everything the Jewish people were hoping would happen. When this dawned on him, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, also called Mark, where many people had gathered and were praying. Peter knocked at the outer entrance and a servant named Rhoda came to answer the door. When she recognized Peter's voice, she was so overjoyed. She ran back without opening the door and exclaimed, Peter's at the door. You're out of your mind, they told her. When she kept insisting it was so, they said, it must be his angel. Now, that's kind of a cool thing. If people in a a house are just gathered around like, ah, it's probably just an angel, don't worry about it. That would be crazy if we had those kinds of experiences where we were so familiar with angels that we were just like, nah, it's probably just one of them. Don't worry about it. 
Peter kept on knocking, and when they opened the door and saw him, they were astonished. Peter motioned with his hand for them to be quiet and described how the Lord had brought him out of prison. Wow, this is an incredible passage, right? So they, they, they were praying so hard for him in this house, right? They're praying and praying and praying, and Peter's knocking on the door over there, and they go to answer the door, and, and they're like, no, it can't be him. There's no way. It's like, guys, you were praying for this. Like, what did you expect was going to happen, right? And so they finally let him in, and he's explaining everything that God had done in his life to get him out of this prison. Now, if we take this passage and we relate it back to what the other passage was, remember those who are in prison as though in prison with them, I think we could come to the conclusion, right, that it is our responsibility to pray for our brothers and sisters that are in Afghanistan right now. To pray for the Christians that are there. That they would be freed from this oppression that they are facing right now. They are literally facing imminent death, imprisonment. Their daughters and their sons are, are going to be shipped off from whatever is going to happen to them, you don't know. But listen, it is an absolute travesty what is happening and many of them are choosing to stay, and many of them aren't able to get out. But even if they do choose to stay, if they have to stand in front of their maker, I know that they will be able to say, listen, we stood strong in our faith. We stood strong. We fought the good fight, and we died as a believer in Jesus. And there's many pastors that are coming out saying, um, and there's a video I'll show you, I think in just a little bit of, of a family, and they were talking about their kids that were even saying, we will not deny Jesus. We're not gonna deny Jesus if they ask us, are you a follower of Jesus? Man, that is absolutely incredible. It is our responsibility to pray for these people. That's the first thing that I wanna encourage you to do is pray for the Christians that are there, the missionaries that have chosen to stay behind. The second people group that I kind of wanna focus on today is the refugees. People that maybe are, are Christians or aren't Christians, you know, people that are just trying to get out of this place, that are trying to flee from this oppression. Because of this prison-like treatment, many are fearing that they're gonna be uh, faced with, there's thousands of people fleeing the country, thousands and thousands and thousands trying to get out. And thousands more that will attempt to get out over the next coming years and they're going to do any possible way that they can. Obviously, we know of the planes that are trying to get people out from the U.S. right now and from the U.K. and, and different countries that are trying to get them out, but it's difficult. It's crowded and, and the Taliban is there, the U.S. is there, and there's different soldiers from different nations. But there's us also other organizations that are stepping up and sending smaller, you don't really hear about this on the news as much, but there's organizations that are stepping up and sending smaller planes and aircrafts and, and, and vehicles and, and they're getting them out one way or the other, okay? These are Christian organizations. Uh, these are secular organizations. These are just organizations that know that these people need to get out of there, okay? And so they're sending these smaller planes to different airports and different places to get these people out of there. But the other way that people could get out of there is they could try to sneak out, and this is the most dangerous way for sure to try to get out. And this is the reason why there's two of them. Number one, Afghanistan is a treacherous, treacherous region, okay? It is mountainous and it is a desert, all right? If you try to cross the mountains by yourself and you're not familiar with it, let's say you lived in Kabul and you're trying to get through the mountains and you're not used to living kind of the nomadic life that some of those people live out there, it's gonna be really, really difficult for you because you don't know the region and you're gonna run out of water, you're gonna run out of food. And even if, let's say, you got out and you got into another country, all the countries surrounding them are also Islamic countries. And if they weren't sent back to Afghanistan, they would be punished in that country. So they have to literally go out of their country and then through the next country just to try to get to somewhere else. Listen, that is a terrible, terrible way to try to get out and to have to get out of oppression. So it's a difficult thing to get these people out right now. 
I'm going to take a little bit of a shift, okay? Because there are refugees trying to get out of, of, of Afghanistan right now, but we know that there are people living in Texas. We hear about this all the time, that there's a border crisis, right? We have a crisis at the border and it's, you know, it's right next to us, okay? Obviously we live in Texas. We see in San Antonio, there's, there's many, many people that have immigrated into uh, that area. I lived in San Antonio for two and a half years and I've heard some stories of people, of their parents that came to America and how difficult it was. And, and, and some of them we even knew were illegal and it was a very difficult, thing to have to deal with and and they were trying to trying to figure out how do we you know become citizens and it was just a hard hard thing living in San Antonio those few years but America might have a border crisis, okay? And there's tens of thousands of people flowing into the U.S. and people have a lot of thoughts about it. I understand that, all right? I'm not gonna get political today. Don't worry, all right? We're not going there. But um, there's people on both sides of this. Some people will say, we have to protect America, all right? We gotta protect America first. We gotta make sure we protect our kids and our jobs and all this stuff. And so we should just close the borders completely, okay? That's one side of it. On the other side of it, you have people that say, okay, literally written on the Statue of Liberty is bring the people, like bring everything everybody. Okay. We need to bring these people in. This is for the poor. This is for the hungry, for the tired, bring those people in. And this is what America was built off of is freedom. And we were actually immigrants when we came here. Right. And so they say, leave it wide open. Like anybody that wants to come, come. And then where I think most of us fall is probably somewhere in this wide spectrum in between those two lines of thinking. Okay. That's where most people have thoughts about it. And I want to just go ahead and tell you a few things about living in America that you might not know. Maybe you do and you can kind of figure it out, but maybe you don't. Did you know if you live in America, you're most likely in the top 20% richest people in the world. You might even be what America considers poor. And yet in the world standard, you are within, even if you're poor, poor, poor in America, you're probably still in the 20th percentile or above as far as the richest people in the world. Over 1.9 billion people, which is about 25, 26% of the world's population, were living on less than $3.20 a day in 2015. Y'all, that is a Starbucks, okay? Like that is one Starbucks. And that's how much money these people were living off of in a day, all right? Almost a quarter of the world's population. Close to 46% of the world's population was living off less than $5.50 a day. That's a nice latte right there, all right? Those daily incomes translate to annual figures of $1,168 and $2,007 respectively per year. That's how much money these people live off of per year. Here's another one for you. A net worth of $93,000 is enough to make you richer than 90% of the people around the world. All right, and you might be like, I don't have $93,000. Do you own a home, right? Do you have savings? Do you have a 401k? You might think, I don't have $93,000 in the bank. No, 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 it's net, okay? So it's like, if you sold everything that you had, if you sold your home and you pulled all your money out of all your investments and you you paid off all your debts and everything and you had $93,000 after all of that, you'd be richer than 90% of the people in all of the world. And here's one that's a little bit more reasonable for some of us, okay? If you just have $4,000 to your name, okay? If you sold everything, your home, all the stuff, if you don't have a home, maybe this is a little bit more uh, reasonable reasonable for us to think about. If you had just $4,000, you're still richer than half of the world's residents. Half. I think these are some sobering statistics. And I think it's a point that needs to be made because for most of us, our story will begin and end in a place where we were able to live comfortably and freely. But for millions of people in this world, that's simply not the case. It's just not the case. You and I will never probably know the hunger that comes from not having enough food to eat. 
not being able to feed and provide for our families. We'll never feel the fear of hiding away from extremists who want to kill us for our faith, right? We'll never feel like we have to escape where we live for us to actually live. But there are millions who do, millions across this world. And you could come at this issue of immigration and, you know, refugees and all this stuff from a political standpoint, arguing about the best way to handle it. Okay. And I understand that you have to, that's what, that's what politicians are for. Okay. Like that's, that's what politics is supposed to do. They're supposed to decide, okay, this is the issue that we have here. This is what is presented with us. What's the best way to handle this? And you have the right and the left and everybody in between. And they argue about what's the best way to handle the situation. But what does the Bible say about refugees? What does the Bible say? about immigration. I think it might surprise some of you today, okay? Leviticus 19.34 says, the foreigners residing among you must be treated as native born. Love them as yourself, for you were foreigners in Egypt. I am the Lord your God. That one hits hard. You were foreigners. Y'all remember being enslaved in Egypt, don't you? I can send you right back if you want to. I'm the Lord your God. Okay, you know what I mean? I like how he says, I'm the Lord your God. And almost like God has a little bit of swagger, y'all. You know what I mean? He's like, I'm the Lord your God. Okay, that's like mom and dad being like, because I said so. That's basically the equivalent to what that means right there, right? You were enslaved in Egypt. You want me to send you guys back? Because I, I sure can if you want me to. Remember what it was like. Remember the stories of your ancestors and treat the foreigners that are residing among you as if they were native born, as if they were a part of your community and they had never lived anywhere else. Listen, in the Bible, you won't find the word refugee as we would know it today, but how, what will you find? You'll find the word foreigner. You'll find the word stranger and sojourner, okay? These are words that you see and all of them in a sense kind of relate back to what it means to be an immigrant or a refugee, a, a person that is not from the land that now resides in the land. So there's a bunch of different things the Bible has to say. There were cities of refuge that were available to Israelites and also foreigners in case of accidental murder. Now, that would have been really interesting to hear how that happened, okay? But if you accidentally murdered somebody, then you could go to a refuge city, all right? Uh, foreigners were to be included in festivals and celebrations that were mandated by the law. So a lot of these celebrations, and they were very, very celebration-heavy culture, okay? We have our holidays. They did like month-long parties sometimes, okay? Week-long, two-week-long, month-long celebrations. These things were huge, and the foreigners were actually invited to be a part of that. You can find that in Deuteronomy. Some of the tithe that was collected by the priests was used not only to feed them and their families, but to provide food for foreigners, widows, and orphans as well. That's also in Deuteronomy. And farmers were instructed to leave the gleanings of their fields for the poor and for the foreigner. And that's in Leviticus. To treat the stranger as they would the poor among the Israelites, okay? These are some different things you see in the Old Testament about how they were supposed to treat foreigners and refugees and immigrants in the Old Testament. But what about the New Testament? Does Jesus have anything to say about this? Well, I'm glad you asked. Here we go. Matthew 25, 34 through 40. This is a part of a larger story. But I'm gonna read the second half of this story. And, and Jesus just really, he, he has a because I said so kind of moment, I think too. It's, it's a beautiful story. It says, then the king will say to those on his right, come you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. 
I was in prison and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you as a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? And the king will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. This is what Jesus has to say about this. I was a stranger and you invited me in, right? If I was in prison and you went to visit me, and I think right now in our minds, what I would like us to do in our hearts is to, to visit those that are in prison right now. We can't actually be there with them in Afghanistan right now, but what can we do is we can visit them in our hearts, visit them in our minds and say, listen, I'm gonna try to understand what it feels like to be you right now. I'm gonna try to have some empathy and put myself in your shoes. And this is what Jesus has to say. Whatever you do for one of those people, you're not just doing it unto them, but you're also doing it unto Christ. And so this is what I would encourage you with is when we invite in strangers, refugees, and immigrants into our home and into our land, we're not just inviting them in, we're also inviting Christ. And I know that's a difficult thing for some people because honestly, in the conservative Christian culture, and I, that we have people that are Democrat, Republican, liberal, conservative, whatever you want to call it, we have all of the above, okay, that come to radical church. And I love that. We have old, young, in between. I mean, it doesn't even matter, okay? And I absolutely love that. But no matter what you think about it politically, we as Christians have to start here first, Right? And that we are called to love people that come to our land that need our help, people that are far away from us that we might never, ever meet. We need to make sure that we do everything we can to help them in their time of need. Listen, we are also strangers in this world. This is what the Bible says. We are strangers. We're just passing on through. This is not even our final destination. We're going to heaven. This is where we're going. And we're actually foreigners in this land right now. And yet Christ died for us so that we can have life right here, right now. Listen, the, the most difficult thing I think for us, the easy things to do would be to pray for the Christians there, right? That's the easy thing. Let's pray for all the Christians there. Okay, yes, of course. We wanna pray for them and the missionaries. That's great. We need to support them and help them. Then I think the second easiest thing to do after that would be, let's pray for those refugees and these people that need to get out of there. I mean, there's people, women's rights are about to be taken away probably in a massive, massive way. There's gonna be, uh, um, there's gonna be a lot of bad things that are about to happen and we know that, all right? And that's an easy thing to do is to pray for those people, for the refugees, Christian or not. I think the hardest thing to do though is to pray for the Taliban, yeah. right? Golly, that's a hard thing to do. That's a tough thing. But the Bible tells us to love our enemies. Love our enemies. Matthew 5, 43 through 44. You've heard it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, this is Jesus, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Pray for those who persecute you. If I can get Sadie, come on up here. How could you pray for somebody that's done so much evil, Right? How could you pray for somebody that maybe has, has killed and destroyed their entire life? Wouldn't it just be better if they were wiped off the face of the earth? Like, let's just go Old Testament on them, Lord. Like, just get them out of here, right? Like, bring some fire. Like, Elijah on the mountaintop, like, Lord, will you bring the fire? And he's like, all right, cool. And then, boom, the Taliban is gone. Like, wouldn't that just be amazing? And it's like, I understand that. You know, like, that's a natural thing for us to think. Like, Lord, would you just free these people and just absolutely do it right there, right now? How could you pray for these people? 
But when somebody gives their life to Jesus on their deathbed, maybe let's say one of these Taliban fighters, after a life of stealing, cheating, lying, raping, murdering, it almost seems unfair, doesn't it? That they would be able to still go to heaven? That they could give their life to Jesus on their deathbed and yet they still have the same Jesus that you and I do and they still have the same access to the kingdom of God as you and I do? That doesn't make any sense, right? That, that seems unfair. How could you live this way and still be allowed into the kingdom of heaven? These guys were clearly enemies of God their entire lives and I, and I tried my best to serve God my whole life I grew up in church and I did everything, I did everything right. And y'all had my time where I messed up, but I came back to the Lord and, and I tried and I lived my life for him. And, and yet this guy just gives his life to Jesus like with 30 seconds left. And yet he still has the same grace that I do. Yes. Yes, he does. The Bible says that before you believed in God, you were his enemy too. I'll prove it to you. Romans 5.10. For if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? The Bible says that we were God's enemies before we knew him. Isn't that crazy? I'm like, I don't feel like I was an enemy of God. Sin makes us all enemies of God. Sin condemns us, but Jesus saves us, right? We were all enemies of God, and yet we've been given that grace so why wouldn't somebody else deserve it? Listen, we're all saved the same way. And that's through faith in Jesus Christ. I don't care what kind of life you've lived. We hear stories and testimonies. You know, I've heard obviously stories like Casey and Aaron. You know, like it was even just, uh, I think she commented on my Facebook post. I posted a little bit about this and I'll, I'll read to you what I, what I posted on Facebook a couple days ago. But Casey even reached out, I think, and she was like, you know, the Lord can save me, then the Lord can save anybody, right? Because, I mean, they went through some stuff, right? Man, I, even uh, the other Casey that comes to our church, we showed her story a few weeks ago. Man, God saved her. God saved me. God saved most of you. Listen, I'm telling you, there might be some of you here today that aren't believing in Jesus, but I promise you the only way to eternal life, the only way to, 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 to conquer sin, death, hell, and the grave is through Jesus because he's already done it. Listen, I'm telling you, we gotta put our faith in Jesus today and we have to believe that God wants not that any should perish, but that all would have life in him. Amen? One encounter with Jesus changes everything. I'm gonna read to you what I posted the other day that I feel like the Lord gave me and just absolutely wrecked my spirit. When Jesus died, there were two other men being crucified beside him. One thief on the cross cried out to Jesus in his final moments. And Jesus simply says, today you will be with me in paradise. There was no four part discipleship class. There was no baptism. There was no time to determine if he would for sure change his ways. He wasn't baptized in the Holy Spirit, Pentecostals. He simply had faith in Jesus that he was who he said he was. And for Jesus, that was enough. That was enough. That's all he needed. And I love that this man that's dying on the cross next to Jesus. I love that this story happened because I think it goes counter against so much of our religion that we've set up. People say, you gotta be baptized. A lot of Lutherans, Catholics, whatever it might be, you gotta be baptized to be saved. 
Listen, this dude wasn't. Well, what about being baptized in the Holy Spirit? We got to speak in tongues. Come on now, Pentecostals out there. Listen, this dude wasn't speaking in tongues. He professed Jesus. He wasn't baptized in water. He wasn't. He didn't go through a process of, of discipleship and, and learning the Bible and learning the Old Testament and then and studying under the teachings of Jesus for his whole life. He didn't have any of that time. All the time he had to do was say yes to Jesus. And then he took his last breath and Jesus said, today you'll be with me in paradise. And I believe that he was. Because Jesus ain't a liar, y'all. Will y'all stand up with me? Man, if that doesn't just like, you know what I mean? If that doesn't just cut to your heart, you need to pray that God would soften it. Okay, I'm just being honest. Because we all deserve death because of sin. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Taliban's the same as you. I'm sorry, it's true. We've all sinned. We're just lucky enough to have the hope of Jesus. We're lucky enough that somebody told us about him. We're lucky enough to live in a land that is free. We're lucky enough to maybe have parents that told you about Jesus and took you to church. We're lucky enough that we can come in here and worship. And yet there's millions of people all across the world that don't have that same luxury. So this is what we're gonna do. We're gonna pray today and we're gonna give. The first thing I want us to do is to pray that for everybody that's involved. We talked about refugees. We talked about Afghan Christians. We talked about the Taliban, but listen, there are some other groups that are affected too, I know. Soldiers that have been there. Families of soldiers that were killed in Afghanistan or soldiers that were wounded in Afghanistan or in this fight against terror over the last 20 years. Many of them thinking, what's the point? Why did we even go? Why did I do this? Why did I lose my brother? That he's dead and now we just pulled out and the Taliban immediately took over. What's the point of all of it? Listen, man, I understand. I understand there's some real emotions and some real hurt that you might be feeling right now. Maybe you have some, some vets in your life that you need to reach out to. I think this would be a great time. Don't wait until the next holiday or a Memorial Day or Veterans Day to reach out to a vet. Do it now, okay? because you don't know the kind of things that they're dealing with. We need to pray for them. There are American citizens who are actually still stuck there too, that we need to get them out of there. We need to pray for them. And there's also millions of Afghan people that are gonna be left behind, that are gonna be staying there, maybe without the knowledge of Jesus, maybe without the missionaries that are there anymore because the missionaries are leaving. They can't, openly profess the name of Jesus, they can't even really have their underground church as well as they used to be able to now. How are people gonna hear about Jesus? Listen, we have to pray that God would intervene. I've heard stories from countries like this where God will give visions and dreams to these, these people. Sometimes it's the only way that they'll ever be able to hear about Jesus is if he actually shows up to them personally, individually. And I love that because God is an individual, personal God. And he wants to speak to every single person. And he wishes that not anybody would die without the knowledge of Jesus, but that all, 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 all would be free from their sin and be able to follow Jesus into the kingdom of God. And then I think we need to pray that the good news of Jesus, right, will advance through the persecution. 
through the midst of persecution. Did you know that the church in China has grown more in the last 20 years than it ever has in the history of that nation? Why, as the church has been persecuted more, the gospel and the amount of Christians has exponentially increased. In the midst of persecution, the gospel advances. And so I'm praying that that's what's gonna happen in Afghanistan. And I pray to God that there would be people that would step up, that would, people that would have dreams and visions, Taliban fighters and Taliban leaders that would get radically saved by the power of Jesus and that would go on an absolute rampage, telling as many people as they can about what God has done in their lives. Maybe they'll be killed for it, but they'll be rewarded in heaven. So we're gonna pray for them. And then I want us to give to help pastors, missionaries, Christians there to support the refugees as they come to the U.S. We're, if you didn't know this, we're an Assemblies of God church. I like to say we're a non-denom church with a Pentecostal flair, okay? So that's what I like to tell people. <clears throat> but, uh, but the Assemblies of God World Mission, they have uh, a community that involves Afghanistan as well. And I want to give towards them. They have a, a emergency crisis relief fund for Afghan refugees that are coming out of there. And they're also doing their best to get as many people out of there as they can. Uh, people that they're connected to and connected with. And so I want, to, I want to give. On top of our tithes and offerings that you would normally give, I want to give over and above today. I want us to be extremely generous today because this is something that's really worth it, right? This is something I think that all of us can get behind. Helping people that are far away but that really need assistance right now. So what I wanna do is I wanna take just about two to three minutes and I just want us to sit here and pray. Maybe you haven't prayed for these people yet and you've been seeing the news, you've been seeing the stories, but you actually like, you think good things and you're like, ah oh, man, God, I hope you help them, you know, but you haven't actually like taken the time to really pray about it. That's what we're gonna do now, okay? So just take about the next two to three minutes and we're gonna lift up a cry to the Lord for these people in any way that you want to, all right? And then we're gonna take up an offering right at the end and we're gonna pray over that offering that God would multiply it and then we'll dismiss, all right? Let's pray. Father God, we come before you now. God, we ask that you would liberate these people, Lord, in the name of Jesus. These people, these, these Christians, first off, Lord, that have been so faithful to you even in the midst of adversity. In the midst of persecution, Lord, some of the heaviest persecution that this world will ever see, God, I pray that you would help them to stand strong in their faith. God, would you help them not to back down, not to deny you, Lord, but to stand strong even maybe until the end for some of them. God, that we know that there's gonna be some of them that are gonna be martyred the same way that the disciples were. God, I pray that you would just reward them so greatly when they enter the gates of heaven. Father, I pray that you would give peace to the families of those that are being lost right now. Lord, I pray for the Christians that are there, that they would stand strong, that the gospel would advance in that nation, Father, as the persecution grows. Lord, that your presence would only grow greater. Father, that your spirit would move even stronger, that your word would go forth even faster, God. We pray for this right now in the name of Jesus. Come on, would you just lift your voice all over this place right now? Would you just pray your own prayer to Jesus right now for these people? I just want us to lift up a cry for these people right now. Not just me praying, but all of us praying. Come on, lift up your voice. Father, we thank you, Jesus. Lord, would you do it right now?
the salvation of people right now in this nation. God, we lift them up to you right now. Lord Jesus, for the refugees that are trying to get out, would you provide opportunities? Would you provide airplanes? Would you provide vehicles right now, God, to get these people out? Would you provide volunteers, people that have strategic knowledge of how to get in and out of this country, Lord, that would help people to get out and get to safety, Lord? And if these people don't know Jesus, Lord, would you use this time to bring them to you, to reconcile them to you? Lord, we know that we were all enemies before we knew you, God. And Lord, forgive us if we've ever talked against immigrants before. Forgive us if we've talked against people that have come into our nation, Lord. I pray, Father, that you would just wreck our hearts right now for people that we don't even know. Wreck our hearts right now, Father God, for people that we will never meet. But Lord, we know that our prayers make a difference today. We know that you hear us when we pray and that when we gather together, Lord, that you are here in the midst of us, Lord. And we know that you are the God of America. You're the God of Kyle, Texas, but you're the God of Kabul, Lord. And you're the God of Afghanistan right now. And so, Father, I pray, I just ask that your spirit would move over this nation right now. Get the people out that need to get out. Lord, for those people that are staying behind, would you absolutely show up with your presence, Lord? Would you help them, God, to have an experience with you? And Lord, finally, we pray for the Taliban. God, would you save them? God, would you help these people, Lord, that are so far gone? Would you help them? They're so far gone, Lord. Would you just take a few of them, Lord, that need, that if they would just have an experience and an encounter with you, God, I really do believe that it can change an entire, entire people group, Lord. Father Jesus, God, right now, we just ask for your spirit to move through the Taliban, Lord. God, give them visions. Give them dreams, Lord of Jesus of Nazareth. God, would you give them dreams and visions that they would undeniably be the only option that they have is to fall on their face before you and to turn to you, God. And Lord, we also pray for those that have their hearts hardened to you and these Taliban soldiers that are fighting, Lord, would you restrain the evil within them, God? Would you hold them back, Lord? Would you hold them back? Lord, we know that Satan has plans for these people, that he comes to steal and to kill and destroy. And so God, right now, would you hold back the evil that is within some of these men, God? Lord, you do whatever you need to do that is best, Lord, in your will, Father. We just pray that your will would be done. At the end of the day, God, that's all we can pray. But God, we cry out to you. Lord, we say, restrain the evil. Restrain the plans of the enemy, God. Crush the enemy's head beneath your foot, God. And as you do that, Lord, would you also on the other side, would you save some of those men too, Lord? Would you completely transform this nation, Father? Lord, let us not forget that we were enemies of yours before we found you. Let us not forget, God, and we're just passing through. So every head is bowed, every eye is closed. I just want to provide an opportunity. Maybe there's some of you today that need to rededicate your life to Jesus. You realize that you're an enemy of Christ, right? And we were all enemies of God, but, but Jesus died on the cross for us. He died next to that thief. The one that in his last breath had lived a life that was terrible. And in his last breath said, Jesus, will you remember me? And he said, absolutely. Today you're going to be with me in paradise. Come on, I believe that there's some of you today that need to give your life to Jesus, maybe for the first time, or maybe you need to rededicate your life to God today. Listen, I wanna give you the opportunity to do that. If you'd like to rededicate or give your life to Jesus today, just raise your hand on the count of three. I just wanna see it, look up at me, and then put it right back down. One, two, three. Is that you? You wanna rededicate? I see you out there. I see you. 
Is there anybody else that wants to rededicate or give your life to Jesus today? He will change your life forever. Amen, amen. We have one person say yes to rededicating his life to Jesus today. Come on, can we give a big praise and shout to God today? Thank you, Father. We believe it's done in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus, amen. The last thing I want to do today is I want us to give. I'd like everybody to get out your phone, if you can. If you have one, you don't have to. You can also give on the envelope on the seat that's, that's next to you. You can give at RadicalChurch.life. You can do it on your phone in the Church Center app. That's also how you can sign up for groups. So if you call this church your home, I would encourage you to download that app. It's going to help you in lots of different things, not just to give. But I want us to sacrificially give today. If you do call your, this church your home, I would encourage you to give your tithes and offerings to this house you can do that. I think there's a tab that's called the general, general fund, okay? And you can give that there. But there's also a tab that's, it says missions, missions and outreach. And anything that you give today to the missions and outreach tab, that you select that and give that, or you can even write it on the envelope, write it on the check or whatever you want to do, however you want to get that in the back. Uh, you can do that before you leave today. Every single dime of that is going to go to AGWM, Assemblies of God World Missions, and, and specifically to that Afghan Refugee Relief Emergency Fund that they're doing right now. This is a special fund they've opened up specifically for this time. I encourage you to sacrificially give, not just to this church, but to these people. Because listen, I really do believe that we can pray all day long, but I think sometimes our faith needs to be backed up with some action. Amen? It needs to be backed up with trusting God in our finances, trusting God in every area of our life. So I encourage you to do that right now. And you can do that at any time. If you need help with that, please let me know. If you're confused about the tabs or anything, I just want to make sure that every single cent that you want to go to this gets to the people it needs to get to. Amen? So... Let's pray over our offering and let's ask God to seal what has happened here today in our small little piece of Texas. We believe that God is hearing our prayers and that there's going to be some Christians there that are going to feel those prayers. There's going to be some refugees there that are going to be able to get out of the country because of a strategy that was just given to somebody across the ocean right now because of the prayers that you just lifted up. You believe that? Let's do this. Father, right now, we thank you for this offering today. We thank you for this message that you've given me, this message that I feel like is for so many, that this life is not just about us. It's not just about America. It's not just about our little piece of the world, but God, you're the God of the universe. You're the God of Afghanistan, the God of these people that are there. You're the God over the Taliban. We believe they can be saved, refugees can be saved, that Christians can stand strong. Father, I pray right now that you would use these funds that we are giving. Maybe it's a small amount, God, in our eyes, but Lord, we know to you it's big because it's going to something that can really help and make a difference, Father. We as a church, as Radical Church, want to make a difference not just locally, regionally, nationally. We want to make a difference globally, Lord. And I believe that there are people right here, right now, that our prayers and our finances are going, Lord, that you're going to multiply uh, those prayer requests, Lord. You're going to help these people and you're going to multiply these funds and be able to help so many people through this missions organization that we're going to be giving to. Father, would you give them strategies to get these people out of there? Give them strategies to advance the gospel within Afghanistan. And Father, we thank you for what you're doing. We believe it is done in the name of Jesus. And if you believe it, can I get a big amen? Amen. amen. Come on, let's give it up for Jesus today.
Thank you so much for being a part of Radical Church today. Man, if you are new, once again, I just want to thank you for being here. Fill out the connect card, okay? We'd love to connect with you sometime this week. God bless you guys.